My favorite part of Downline so far has been just the intentionality of looking at scripture and taking what I've learned to apply it um, in my everyday life, but also in my ministry life. And I've loved the study of the Gospels and the intentional look at the life of Jesus. It's helped me um, teach the students that I work with in high school ministry. If you want to just know how to walk in the ways of the Lord in the secular workforce, this is the perfect opportunity to do that because you take what you learn and then you take it back to your sphere of life. Downline has given me those tools to give me the confidence to really come alongside someone and, and try to lead them on the path that is, is pleasing and to God and that will ultimately glorify Him and make disciples on down the line. I've learned that discipleship is not about making fans or admirers of of Jesus, but making followers of Jesus Christ, who in turn will make followers of Jesus Christ. Downline has, has been great about providing uh, some tools for how to engage disciples, and not only with the, the knowledge that we get or the things that we learn uh, about the Word, but also in the practical ideas about how to, how to transfer that information to others. Good morning, Fellowship. If you're anything like me, you might be a little out of breath. It's been a crazy morning. We're glad that we have power today and glad that you're here. It's also Promotion Sunday, so you might be out of breath from trying to get your kids to their classrooms or new classrooms and then getting in here. So I wanna say, if you got your kids into the correct class and you're here two minutes early, you're winning so far today, all right? <laughs> We're getting started a little early because we want to teach you a new song. We're in our Church Defined series, and as I was planning this service with our team, uh, this song came to mind. It's a song titled, Resurrender, and the prayer is simply an acknowledgement of who we are, who God has called us to be as the church. So I'm going to teach you the chorus, and then I'm going to invite you to sing it with us. It goes like this. We are your people. You are our God, we are your temple, make us holy like you are. We are your children, you set us apart, God for your glory, make us holy like you are. All right, it's a simple song, it's a little bit of syncopation, can you try sing it with us? Here we go, we are your people. We are your people, you are our God. We are your temple, make us holy like you are. We are your children, you set us apart. God, for your glory, make us holy. us this morning. Let's begin our time together by declaring this amazing grace that we have in Jesus. Would you read the scripture aloud with me from Ephesians 2, 8? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we sing Amazing Grace. Well, good morning, Fellowship family. 
and welcome to our guests. If you're new, we'd love the opportunity to say hi. So if you'd stop by the center booth in the foyer, we would love to shake your hand and help you get connected here at Fellowship this morning. But I'm, I'm here next to my teammate, Beth, and we've got a number of opportunities to share with you today uh, to belong, grow, and serve as a disciple of Jesus here at Fellowship Bible Church. And first up, I wanna share with you that registration is live for Reengage, the fall session of Reengage, which begins on August 27th. Now, Reengage is a 14-week marriage enrichment experience, and whether your marriage is struggling in need of repair, or you're strong and you just wanna get stronger and invest in your marriage, marriages in any condition will benefit from this. Um, because here's the deal, uh, it, it doesn't take a lot to drift away from your spouse. In fact, it can happen by accident. But here's what doesn't happen by accident. Biblical oneness with your spouse, a strong connection with your spouse, uh, intimacy with your spouse, it doesn't happen by accident. And re-engage is an excellent way to reconnect with your spouse. If you haven't done it before, we would love to uh, answer any questions you might have and get you signed up. Jeremy and Kristen Jeffrey will be in the foyer at a booth with, next to a large re-engage banner. They're gonna answer your questions and help you get signed up for re-engage. Uh, hey, if you're new to fellowship uh, and you would like to explore more about who we are as a church, I would like to recommend that you sign up for Discover. Now, Discover is an uh, eight-week experience with a small group and a large group component. And it's designed to help you take the next step in discovering who we are as a church. And it happens to be uh, one of the main ways in which our new folks at Fellowship get connected into the small group ministries that make up who we are as a church. Now you can sign up online, or again, you can stop by the center booth in the foyer and we will help you get signed up for Discover. The first session will begin on September the 10th. Hey, Beth's got a few more opportunities to share with us, Beth. A few more, I sure do. I even had extra coffee for this moment to get you what you need. So here we go. It is important to us, like Jimmy said, to get you plugged into your areas of interest. And we want to give you opportunities to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. And we do that through training center classes offered on Sunday mornings. And we want you to know what we're doing this fall. So we have First up, Panorama of the Bible. Um, that's exactly what the title says, an overview of the scriptures. Robert Cup's gonna be teaching that this fall. If you've done Panorama, you might be interested in Panorama Plus, which is gonna be a focus in on that 12th movement um, as it's related to the book of Revelation and the other coordinating scriptures. We also have personal Bible study. This is where you're gonna get tools in your tool belt for just your quiet time and reading the word. Um, get you into the inductive study methods and, and such. And then we also have an apologetics course. Um, that is a four-week experience, and that's in defense of the resurrection, tied with historical proof. We want you to know that it's time to sign up online if you're interested in taking one of those. We also want to bring your attention to Downline Ministries. They are here in the foyer today, and that is a more um, deep dive over scriptures as it relates to evangelism and discipleship. And if you're interested in that, see Dave in the foyer um, so he can give you kind of the timeline of what that um, deep dive looks like as far as commitment goes. And are you with me still? Come on now, are you with me still, Jimmy? Are you with me? I'm with you, Okay, Beth. it is community group sign up season. And if you are not a part of a community group, I can tell you personal experience of over 30 years of being in a community group here at Fellowship, we do not want you to miss out of the great blessing of linking arms with other people in your community to um, pray together, to care for one another, to grow in the word and connection doing life on life. If you are not a part of that, sign up in the foyer today or online. We will do our best to get you in just the right fit for where you're at and what you're looking for. And if you're a community group leader, I wanna say thank you for serving our body this way. We couldn't do it without you, and we wanna say that to those that lead in small groups for women's studies and men's studies, and we need all of you leaders. Next week, 
across the hallway in the Family Center at 9 or 10.30 for our kickoff. We need to get you a lot of information, especially as it relates to our September 10 launch. For those of you that are wondering, guess you better get in the community so you can find out. Right, Jimmy? Indeed. Okay. What else is next week? Jimmy, who's still with me? <laughs> hey, so if you can believe it, now parents probably can believe this since June, it's back to school time. Uh, and so what that means is we're going we're gonna to pause this morning to pray and uh, dedicate this school year to the Lord, pray over our students, the teachers, faculty. Um, now, thanks to our family team, they've provided a prayer guide that, uh, that you could find at any check-in station that you're checking your children into this morning. Also, you can grab one of those guides at the center booth in the foyer. So we're going to pray over them and for our time together this morning. So would you please bow with me at this time? Well, dear Lord, well, we come to you with grateful hearts, acknowledging that you are good and that you're sovereign. Well, we want to lift up to you our children. Lord, you say that children are a blessing, and we are grateful that you would allow us to steward them and allow us to partner with our church, with teachers and families, and bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. And so we ask for protection over them. We know that there's a spirit of darkness in this age. We ask for protection on them, their hearts, their minds, that you would guide them and lead them in grace and truth. Lord, thank you for the teachers and faculty who invest intentionally in our children. I pray your blessing upon them and give them strength, give them endurance and perseverance when times are tough. Lord, we're grateful for them. And Lord, uh, we just acknowledge at this time in this space that you are our God and we are your people. We're created for your glory. And we want to engage with you this morning in spirit and in truth. We dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jimmy. That prayer itself was a call to worship. But I'm going to share another call to worship with us this morning. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. And if you're anything like me, there's some anxiety that can come with that. And so one of my favorite prayers um, to pray is a simple breath prayer. As I breathe in, I say, Lord, here I am. And as I breathe out, I say, Lord, you are here. Just take a moment to pray that prayer, Lord, here I am. Lord, you are here. And as we're in our church-defined series, one of the things that we really want to do is make what is normally implicit, explicit. We come here every Sunday and we worship. So what is worship? I'm gonna define it for us this morning. It's simply revelation and response. God reveals himself to us and we respond. And this is clearly seen in Isaiah chapter six, where the prophet Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. God revealed himself. And what was Isaiah's response? His response was praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His response was confession and repentance. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And his response was surrender. Lord, here I am, send me. So what is gonna be your response this morning as God reveals himself to you through his word, through song as we sing the truth of his word, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit? Would you stand with us once again and let's see God for who he truly is. Psalm 95, let's read it together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. So come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, 
and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy?
Continue to worship as we continue to sing and as the offering plate is passed. We worship through giving this morning. 
encourage you to take in the words from 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into this wonderful light.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, it says that he was in that room with his disciples. And as he's sitting in that room with his disciples, they're sharing that Passover meal together. But Jesus does something different here because he, he takes the bread and it says after blessing it that he broke it. And I've always pictured him doing so demonstratively, crumbs kind of falling down. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. And similarly, he takes the cup and I, I can picture him pouring that wine into his cup, some of it spilling out. And he shows his disciples and he says, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It's an interesting segment because Jesus is kind of flipping the script here. You see, this would have been a meal that his disciples were really familiar with, a tradition that they would have partaken in so many times. In fact, this would have been a meal that the disciples would have been thinking of the Passover story from Exodus. They would have been remembering God's salvific work in the lives of the Hebrews as he saved them from captivity from Pharaoh. But Jesus isn't remembering that. Jesus is doing something a little bit different here. And in fact, I think the disciples would have been thinking about a sacrifice that happened in Egypt where God says to his people, look, I'm going to free you, but I'm gonna bring destruction to the land of Egypt, but I'll pass over you. You need to sacrifice a lamb, take the lamb's blood, put it over your doorway. The people do and they find freedom. They walk out of Egypt. That's what I think the disciples would have been thinking about. But not Jesus here. Because Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he says, take, eat, this is my body. Jesus isn't looking back to some sacrificial lamb, he's thinking about the lamb of God. And he's saying, this isn't about that lamb being broken, this is about my body which will be broken for you. And in the same way, he takes the cup and he says, take, drink, this is my blood. It's not about the blood of that lamb in Egypt. It's about the lamb of God, me, who will be sacrificed on your behalf. This is the blood that brings you life. This is the blood that earns your forgiveness. You see, in this moment, Jesus says that it's his life that earns our salvation. In fact, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians says that when we eat of this meal, when we take the elements, we proclaim the Lord's death until his return. We remember Jesus' body, which was broken. We remember his blood, which was spilled. And we remember that that is what earned our salvation, and then we, in hopeful anticipation, wait for his second coming. You see, we're gonna take communion this morning. And we take it seriously here because we believe it's an act for the body of Christ to remember the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And so if you've professed faith in Jesus, I invite you this morning to collect the, the elements as they go by. If that's something you haven't done, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then just let these elements go by, no judgment. But we believe that this is for the bride of Christ 
to remember their Savior. And so as you collect those elements, as you receive them, as they go through the aisles, hold on to them for a second because Pat's gonna have us take this corporately together. As the elements are passed, we're gonna continue to worship through song, sing about what the sacrifice of Christ really means for us, it's restoration, it's reconciliation. And we long for the day when he will return and make all things new. elements reminded of Psalm 116 what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord so let's sing and pray this refrain before we partake you've been so so good to me you've been so 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 good 
that was broken for us. Take and eat in remembrance. And the blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. We know what the purpose of communion is. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. It's to proclaim. It's to remember our Lord, our Savior's death until his second coming. But have you ever thought about what the purpose of church is? Have you ever thought about what, what are we here to do? Why does this thing that the Lord instituted exist? What's the point of all of this? You know, I could probably tell you some things that we aren't here to do, popular to, to may, or contrary to some uh, ideas, maybe cultural views or certain churches' understanding. We're not here to make a bunch of money. That's not why the church is around. We're not here to create a bunch of fame for some personality and push that person out into the light. We're not, we're not here to just be a club where lots of people can come and gather. No, we've got a purpose way bigger than those things, far more noble and vastly more important. You see, we're in a church defined series. We're kind of pulling out the microscope. We're looking at the church a little bit, trying to figure this thing out. Last week, Sam talked about what the church is, both universally and locally. In the weeks to come, we'll look at what the plan of our church is, Fellowship Rogers. We'll look at what the functions overall of the church are. We'll look at the ultimate mission of the universal church. But today... Today, I want to talk about that question. What are we here to do? What is the purpose of the church? And I actually think that we can find that answer within the scriptures. And I know that's surprising. If Sam were up here, he'd say, see, it's Fellowship Bible Church. It's in the name. So we know we're going to the Bible today. But that is what we're going to do. We're actually going to look in the Bible for the answer of what is the church. And so if you have yours, open up to Romans 15. That's where we'll spend the beginning part of this. Romans chapter 15. And this is what Paul writes. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, it's in this section that I think we can get a purpose statement for the church. And it's right there in verse six, where it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this part of Romans, Paul is writing a prayer for the church in Rome. And he's asking that the Lord would unite them, that he would lead them into harmony with one another. And then we get this purpose statement, verse six that together with one voice, they would glorify the God and Father of Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose. If, if, if the sermon could be done right here, I just told you, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. That's what we're here to do. We exist in harmony, in unity to glorify God. But the issue is with that word glorify. Because I think it's a word that's a little bit of Christianese. We kind of know what it means, we could describe it, but if we actually tried to define it, then it would get a little trickier. In fact, I say that because I know that. I tried to define it this week, and I just kept running into problems. It was difficult for me to get a working definition down of what glorify actually means. How do you actually do that? And so what did I do? I ran to the nerdiest scholars that I could find, some really smart people, and they've got a book that they wrote. It's called The BDAG. You can tell they're nerds because they didn't even come up with a title with it. They just used their last names, abbreviation at that, to name this book, this dictionary on the New Testament. So I ran to them. 
And I said, what do these guys have to say about glorify? How do they define it? And listen to their definition of glorify. They say to glorify means to enhance one's reputation by influencing another about that person. Yeah, I'll say it again. They say that actually to glorify means that we would influence someone in order to enhance another person's reputation. Can you tell they're all nerds and really smart? Their definition doesn't even make sense. And so I began to work through it a little bit and try and unpack it. And what they're saying is to glorify means that you would demonstrate the goodness of an individual, that other people would recognize that person's goodness, that you would demonstrate just how great someone is so that others might see the greatness of that person, which means the purpose of the church is to glorify God. That means we as the church exist to demonstrate the goodness of God, that the world might see that goodness and fall in love with the Lord just like we have. To glorify God means that we exist to show the world the character of the Father that we cherish so those people who don't know him yet would come to know him. It's a little bit of evangelism. It's a little bit of discipleship. It's a little bit of worship all put together in this word glorify, and that's what we exist to do. That's what the church exists to do, to glorify God. But how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us. He says that that's to be done together and with one voice. This idea of together, it speaks of unity, the harmony that he's actually praying for previously for this group of believers. This is something to be done, arms linked together. It's not an individual's goal, it's a corporate goal. And he also says with one voice, that idea of many people but with one voice speaks of unity as well. But I think this idea of voice also speaks a truth of an outward declaration, that glorifying God does involve an outward demonstration of who he is. And that comes into grasp when when we see two in the NIV, if some of you are reading the NIV, instead of together, it says with one mind. One mind and one voice. Displaying this inward reality of glorifying God, this outward reality of glorifying God, all of which is done in unity with each other. Paul's point is that all of us together partake in glorifying God. No member is exempt and no part of a member is exempt. It's both inward and outward. It's all of me with all of you. It's all of you with all of them. It's all of us together for God. That's what we exist to do, to glorify the Lord in unity as one, just as our God is one. So how do we practically do this then? If the purpose is to glorify God, how do you practically glorify him? How do you practically demonstrate to the world who he is? Well, I actually think we could see that in scripture as well. I think Jesus tells us. In fact, you can read in the gospels a story where Jesus is approached by a teacher of the law. And this teacher comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. And I actually like this story because here Jesus answers the question. If you read in the gospel, it seems like a lot of times Jesus will be asked a question and he knows that the Pharisees or the Sadducees, whoever's asking him that, they're just trying to trick him. And so he doesn't play their game and he goes, no, you're asking the wrong question. I'll actually answer this question over here. Not in this point. Jesus sees this teacher of the law is asking a good question and Jesus gives him a great answer. The teacher comes up to him and he says, teacher, what what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus begins to reply saying, the most important is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, I think it's in this section that we can figure out how to fulfill the purpose of glorifying God. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And after being asked that question 
he looks at the man and he begins to quote the, the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy 6. Jesus is actually quoting scripture here as he answers this man. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And at this point, the man who is listening to Jesus' response is probably quoting this with him. But Jesus breaks that because he adds something in. Jesus actually adds, and with all your mind. And I can't tell you why Jesus does that. I, I would guess that since Jesus knows he's talking to a teacher of the law, he understands that this man has, has a, a pretty high mental capacity. Maybe that's how he really reflects on the scriptures. But Jesus adds in, even with all your mind and with all your strength. That's what Jesus says the greatest commandment is. And it, it, it's not complicated. It really is pretty easy to understand. I didn't have to run to the BDAG for this one. Because when you look at it, what Jesus is saying is the greatest commandment is for us as people to love God with everything that we are. Our relationship with the Lord is not just a mental practice. No, it also involves our body, our strength. There's some works to it. That's why James says faith without works is dead. The truest religion is to love the orphans and the widows. But it's also not just about actions. This isn't a legalistic faith. No, there's a heart and soul component to this. There is a relationship here. Jesus is saying that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with everything that we are. Every part of us. Our everything for him who is our everything. That's what we're to do. Now, how do you love the Lord your God with all that you are? Well, I think devotion is a great example of that. We just went through a spiritual rhythm series this summer. And I think engaging in those spiritual practices is an amazing way to fulfill the greatest commandment. That with our mind, body, and soul, our heart, with everything, we would begin to engage in devotion with the Lord. Things like confession, silence, solitude, meditation, generosity, worship, prayer, fasting, the, the, the whole list. Those are great ways to love the Lord. But you know, I was trying to think through, what's, what's another way that we love God? How, how do I love the Lord with all that I am? And I got confused like I normally do. So I started asking people. And I went and I found Chance Kane, who's, who's one of our uh, student pastors here at Fellowship. And, and by the way, hey, if you got a child 7th through 12th grade, you should have them check out our student ministry. The pastors that we have over there, the, the people that are running that ministry, they do an incredible job. You should go see that. But as I'm talking to Chance, I ask him this question, hey, how do you love the Lord? And so he begins to ask me some questions. He pulls a Jesus on me. He flips the tables. And so I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And so he looks at me and goes, well, how do you love your kids? And I start to answer. I go, well, you know, I... Uh, I try and show them my love. I give them hugs and kisses. I tuck them in at night. I make sure that I spend time with them. I want them to know the way that I feel about them. I also wanna do bigger things for them. I want to provide for them. I provide a safe space for them to live. My wife and I try and make sure that they have uh, healthy meals to grow strong. We try and provide guide rails for them so that they can learn to grow into healthy individuals of their own that love the Lord. I provide for my children. And Chance looks at me and goes, well, that's probably a, a, a good description of how the Lord loves you. How do your kids love you, Caleb? And I paused for a second. I started to think. Because I know my children love me. But I don't know if I've ever necessarily thought through the ways in which they love me. And, and so I started to think about my son, Truitt. And, and he is the best. If you know him, you love him. He's unbelievable. He's this bashful, cute, but kind of adventurous boy. And he's got two favorite toys that I want to show you. His two favorite toys are a chainsaw and a lawnmower. Is that not the description of a Springdale man right there? <laughs> right? There's, a, there's something different about being born down south. The air is crisp. You got chicken feed in the morning. It's just good. And so, can I just say this really quick, Rogers, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you got Ruth Chris, but can I introduce you to the Tawny Town Grape Festival, all right? You keep top golf all you want. We got Brush Creek. You can play a round of golf in Chacos. No one cares, all right? Come on down south when you want to have a good time. 
but these are my son's favorite toys. And I was wondering why. Why, why does he love a chainsaw? Why does he love a, a leaf blower? And as I was thinking about it, I was going, it was a few years ago that I got a new leaf blower for around our house. And as soon as my son saw me with this leaf blower, he started asking for one. Dad, I want a leaf blower. I want one. And so eventually we got him one. And then a, a few years ago, I got a new chainsaw. And what did my son start asking for? Dad, I want a chainsaw. And so we got him one. But the problem is my son is terrified of loud noises. Terrified, always has been. Fireworks, nope. Thunderstorms, nope. Even the trash truck coming up in the morning, doesn't like it. In fact, there was one day I was out in our backyard and I was using our leaf blower and I'm just clearing the yard and I hear something yelling behind me. Dad, dad. And I look back and my son is standing on our, on our fire pit and he's just shaking. And he's looking at me and he goes, I wanna try. And so I smile and I said, well, come on out here, buddy. And so he just quietly walks out, literally shaking. And I take the earplugs that I have in, I put them in his ear. I set, the, I set the leaf blower down on the ground and I show him, all you gotta do is pull the trigger. You just pull the trigger and watch these leaves begin to blow. And you can see him smile a little bit. In fact, I have a video of it I wanna show you. But what I want you to notice is the terror. Because as he's using this leaf blower, watch his knees that are just knocking in fear. Activity. Is <laughs> to get the leaf blower and be terrified, but blow some leaves. Because what I've noticed is that even when he's scared, my son loves to do the things that I do. He loves to use the leaf blower and, and the lawnmower and, and the chainsaw. In fact, he started to say something that I think is so cute. The other night I was tucking him in and he looked at me and he goes, Dad, why do we like the same things? And I just said, what do you mean, buddy? And he goes, no, we love the same things. And so I said, tell me, what, what is that? He goes, well, we, we, we like red. We, we like to play catch. He smiles. He goes, we like the leaf blower. <laughs> we like mom. And I just smiled back and I go, you know what we do, buddy? We do love the same things. You see, Chance asked me how my son loves me. And the way that my son loves me is by spending time with me. The way my son loves me is by taking an interest in the things I'm interested in, power tools. He loves me by caring for the things that I care for. He loves me by loving the things that I love. And I think that is an unbelievable way for us to love the Lord with our whole being, is that we would love the very people that God loves. In fact, isn't that Jesus's example, that Jesus, the sent son, loved the ones that the father loved, the hurt, the sick, the weary, the marginalized, that Jesus cared for the very people that the father cared for, us? In fact, I think that's why Jesus, when he's asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He says, first is to love the Lord your God with all of yourself. But the reason he gives two, he says, the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19 here, but I think Jesus says the second, when he was only asked about one, is because he believes that the second is a means of achieving the first. To love your neighbor as yourself is to love the Lord your God because that's exactly how Jesus worked. How do we love our neighbor as ourself? How do we do that? You know, when my wife and I were first married, we, we lived in Ecuador for a little bit. Amazing adventure. It was unbelievable. Stories for days about that place. But what we did is we worked for an, an organization that would bring in students who would get plugged into internships to be able to get a view of what vocational ministry would look like. And so I remember one young man coming down. And as he came down, the first night that I met him, he was so excited. He looked at me, he had this passion in his eyes. I said, you're, you're excited, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I've traveled all this way. I'm so excited for this semester. I said, well, what are you excited about? And he begins to tell me, I cannot wait to love people. 
I, I wanna demonstrate the love of God to people who are in need. I can't wait to care for them. I can't wait to do work. I can't wait to begin loving others. And we smiled. I said, well, hey, you're in the right spot. Well, his first day of his internship came around and I remember helping him get ready, helping him catch the bus, going out. And this young man had been placed in a, in a ministry that worked with people who were living in the dump. And so he drove the bus out to this dump and he found himself with, these, uh, with this family. And he began to work for the day. Well, I was waiting for him on his return because he was so excited. I couldn't wait to see how it went. And so as he came back that day and he was walking down the street towards our apartment, I asked him, how did it go? But he didn't have the same excitement in his eyes. He didn't have the same passion. And I looked at him again, I go, how was it? And, and, and he looks at me, he goes, not good. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I didn't do anything. I'm thinking to myself, what, what are you talking about? What, what did you do? And he looks at me and he goes, I held a baby all day. I'm kind of confused. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I got there. The, the leader of this organization put me in contact with this family. I went and met them. And what they asked is for me to hold their, their young child so that they could go out and do what they needed to do for the day. Because I came here to love others with a love like Jesus. I didn't do anything. And I'm thinking to myself, brother, you said you didn't do anything, but you did everything. You're loving these people as if they were you. You're loving them as yourself. You're doing exactly what Jesus calls you to do. Loving not with a diminished love because you held a baby, but with a love infiltrated by the Holy Spirit because that's what he's brought you here to do is to care for these people with truth and that will come and grace and it came today. You see, when it comes to loving others, we don't have to overcomplicate it. We know what it means. Care for people, serve for people, pray for people, be with people, actually look out and love them. We know what that means. And I think that's why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And I think one of the greatest ways of doing that is to love others as yourself. And you know what? I believe when we fulfill those two commandments, what do we do? We glorify God. We glorify God. That's what we do. Because the world falls in love with Jesus. When, we see, when they see the way that we love him and the way that we love the people that he loves. But here's the deal. There's a little verse that oftentimes get overlooked in this Romans 15 passage, and it's verse seven. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Who is that one another that Paul is talking about when he says, welcome one another? It's fellow believers. You see, we hear about going out and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and oftentimes we think about people at work, we think about the neighbors literally down the street from us, someone at our child's school, we think about all these different people that we have. And, and hear me out, that's part of it, I am pro that. But we can neglect the people sitting to the right and the left of you right now. And Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. To glorify God is done by loving him with all that we are and by loving others, but we cannot neglect the local body that we're called to care for one another as well. Fellowship, this is what we're here to do. Not make money, not build fame, not be a really cool gathering place. We are here to glorify God. And I think we do that by loving him. And if you wanna know how to love him, I'd say love someone else as yourself. Would you stand with us once again? Let's sing this song as a bookend to our service. So we declare who we are, who God has called us to be, we sing. We are your people. You are our God. We are your temple. Make us holy like you are. We are your children. You set us apart. God, for your glory, make us holy like you are. We are your people. You are our God. We are your temple. 
Fellowship, we're so glad you came this morning to worship with us. And let me, let, let me say one thing really quick. I believe that culture is a good representation of your values. And we wanna have a culture of welcoming people here because that's what we're called to do. And so let me just say this. Today, as you head out, would you actually welcome someone? Would you say hi to somebody? Let's not play anymore. I know all of you make eye contact with someone the same week and you just do this and walk by, don't do that. Go shake their hand, give them a hug, say the, the blessings to you. Look, if you hear somebody every week singing and you like their voice, go tell them, I love the way that you worship. This is a family united by the spirit and the harmony that we live in is glorifying unto God in and of itself. Let's be a people united by the Holy Spirit, we love you. If you need prayer, come find us in the prayer room, talk to somebody. We'll see you all next week.